We are going in with the first wave to smash the entire area. You kill anything that has more than two legs. You get me? We get you, sir. We are the film fellas. We watch random movies that you love, hate, or have never heard of, and then we talk about them. I'm Greg, and if I could be any color, I'd be a golden retriever. I'm Nick, and I own too many clothes. I'm Caleb, and I'm the only film fellow with an active DC Universe subscription, but that's because I forget to cancel it. I'm Robbie, and I'm digging through my anime queue. Let's get into it! Like I said, we are the film fellas. This week, we watch Starship Troopers. This was Robbie's pick. Robbie, tell us a little bit about this movie and why you picked it. All right. So I really liked this movie uh, when I was younger. I didn't really understand it very much. But looking back at it with a little bit more life experience, I can definitely see it's a pretty solid satire. And so uh, it was directed by Paul Verhoeven. And it was uh, written by Ed Numer, and it was based on Robert Heinlein's book. So by based, I mean very, very loosely, because actually the director really didn't like the book and thought that it was far too uh, right wing. So he didn't even he, finish it. Yeah, he went like two chapters in and was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> just just <laughs> give me the synopsis. <laughs> And so the rest of the film, it like has the, some of the characters names and places, but for the most part, the spirit of it is entirely different than the book. So I thought it would be an interesting thing to watch with you guys. All right, let's get into our one sentence summary. Robbie, feel free to pick the order. All right. So, uh, Greg, why don't you go first? My one sentence summary is spawn more overlords, which is a Starcraft reference for those that don't yeah. get it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll go next. Okay. My one sentence summary is. There are psychics in this movie. Would you like to know more? Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, actually, I would. Well, too bad. Oh, man. <laughs> it's classified. <clears throat> Mine is the Zerg rush always wins. See, same thing. You get it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but only citizens can watch this film. Would you like to know more? Join us now. <laughs> I like that voice. It was like, join us now. More at five. <laughs> watch the execution at six. <laughs> Right. All right. Now we're going to get into our synopsis of the film where we're going to go over it one by one and probably going to be really bad because we're going to go from memory. But we're going to tell you basically what happens in the whole movie. Spoilers ahead, people. This movie came out in 1997. But if you haven't seen it yet, now would be a good time to just check out or do whatever you do. We don't mind. Come back later. Yeah, come back later. (laughs) The timestamps will be in the description. Robbie, start us off. Okay, so we start off and we're in uh, the far-flung future and we're in a what seems to be a fascist sort of military regime where everybody is divided into citizens and non-citizens and citizens are only people who can fight in the military. So we're quickly introduced to our main three characters. We have a super smart guy who's kind of psychic. We have a girl who wants to be a pilot and the guy who pines for her who is the football quarterback on the team and he decides that he's going to go infantry to try and win her heart and so they go through the school and at the very end or the end of class you know they're all like we're going to stay together somehow and they all enlist and go their different ways fellas so there's this super football game where there's flips and crazy stuff and Rico's playing and he's the star of the show. But then there's this other guy who's on the opposite team who is getting the attention of Carmen, his girlfriend. Ander. <laughs> and there's some teenage drama going on, but they're like, we got to enlist. We got to become citizens. We got to go fight this war. So they go off to boot camp. Rico goes to the mobile infantry. Neil Patrick Harris goes to games in theory, which is where the psychics go. And Carmen goes off to be a pilot. Fellas. 
so Rico's chilling out in the infantry, and out of nowhere, a girl that really likes him and high school, but he never really had feelings for her. Dizzy is there, and she goes and joins his unit. He's like, you joined just for me. I was trying to get out on my own. And she's like, I love you, and he doesn't care. Not really, but she basically gives him the eyes the entire time. They're going through boot camp. She doesn't not give him the eyes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Whenever they're on screen, it's just eyeballs, eyeballs, eyeballs. Anyway, Jake Busey, a.k.a. Ace Levi, is hanging out with uh, Rico, tries to intimidate him. They become friends for some reason. It happened very quickly. And then they do boot camp stuff, something with a knife and a hand. Uh, they have a co-ed shower scene. I, I, I'm very caught off guard by that. Uh, fellas. So, yeah, Rico seems to be getting some attention from his uppers and betters. And he is given control of a, a little unit, but it all goes wrong when he takes off a helmet of one of his fellow soldiers during a live round exercise. And the soldier gets shot in the head and is like, ooh, that's not good. Uh, but instead of being just being given a one-way ticket to Washoutville or whatever they said, he's given like one more chance to enlist. So he, he gets uh, 10 lashes and is given the opportunity to stick around but he gets a email FaceTime sort of deal from Carmen saying that, well, you know, Johnny, I want to be a pilot for life. And so that doesn't leave much room for us. So sorry. So Rico is all like, "Mm, I think I'm just going to go back home. But right when he's about to go back home, aliens attack his home of Buenos Aires and the city is completely destroyed. So now he's all in fellas. So everyone is in shock because an asteroid comes from the enemy and comes and crashes into their hometown, destroys Buenos Aires and most of uh, northern South America. And everybody's in a panic because this is where they're all from. And apparently the bugs, which is the enemy that they've been fighting, are actually smarter than they gave them credit for. And now they're going to go invade. And so Rico's like, well, I'm not going to go home now. There's no home to go to. So now I'm going to become just the best infantryman I can be. I'm going to go fight the bugs. And so we see that Carmen and Xander and the pilots are getting better. And they're like, hey, we're going to become the actual flight crew. And they're going to uh, control how the, the ship goes. As they're fighting and flying their way in, all of a sudden, everybody kind of joins up at the recruit center where everyone's getting ready to fight and go and Rico and Carmen meet again. Carmen's like, oh, hi, how are you? And Rico's like, hey, it kind of broke my heart and tore it apart, but it's nice to see you. And then they go kind of their separate ways. Now they're all going to the same planet to go fight the bugs and suddenly these missiles start coming up from the ground and it's the bugs shooting missiles at them and they start exploding and everyone starts screaming and freaking out and so they have to try and crash land down to the ground and fellas. So all of these drop ships are getting bombarded from the ground, as Robbie said, and all the drop pods are going down with people and the pilots are trying to outmaneuver and they're like, what is this? We said it was going to be clear. And all these mobile infantry land on the ground and they start taking out bugs with their sweet machine guns, not laser guns, but machine guns. And they're taking out these bugs, but they soon get overwhelmed. And we get the scene that we see in the very beginning of the movie where there is a reporter there. He's like, we're on on site for the first invasion. We're going to see all these things. And he gets chomped in half by the bugs and a bunch of people die. And Rico gets stabbed and it seems like he's going to die. Fellas. While that's happening, Ace also sort of dies. He gets stabbed many times. Same with Dizzy. So they all say they're KIA. Anyway, it goes back to the ship. Everyone retreats. And it's all about Carmen being like, oh, no, Rico died. But apparently there's a giant green vat of goo that heals everyone who's dead. 
and it's never brought up again. It's like only for Rico, yeah. It's, it's only it's for a, Rico. It's a medic. <laughs> <laughs> only Everyone's Rico gets medical attention. Fine, which would totally ruin tension in a movie, but it's never brought up, and it really pisses me off. Anyway, they <sighs> go back. This is the part where they join the Roughnecks. Yeah. yeah. Ooh-ah. Ooh-ah. And apparently the leader of the Roughnecks is his old teacher from high school. Who Michael was Ironside. Like, yes. He's, already, he's always like, hey, you know, probably use your own choice. Do you want to be a citizen? Who knows? Fellas. Now it's Rico and Ace and Dizzy in the Roughnecks under the, the tutelage of their high school teacher. And they're going through this planet. They're uh, shooting bugs, taking names. And turns out Rico sh- kills bugs pretty good. And uh, he gets promoted and <laughs> goes up through the ranks. And it looks like they're going to go to this mission that is a little bit more dangerous than usual and so this is when dizzy's affections finally get through to rico and they and they spend a, a total of exactly 20 minutes as a as a couple quote unquote and then they go to this outpost and find that it's been completely deserted and all the good guys there have gotten their brains sucked out and then it turns out that it's a trap and the bug set and hundreds of thousands of bugs set upon our heroes. And Dizzy is killed before everyone can get off world just in time. No! I know, it's, it's actually pretty sad, fellas. So Rico is flying out uh, in an escape pod and is like, all oh, right, so I'm assuming command. We gotta, you know, we gotta get out of here. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna try and manage everything. And I'm the, I'm in charge here. My name is Rico. And then the pilot takes off her helmet and it's Carmen. She's like, Rico, you're alive. And he's like, yes, I'm alive. And then they just go back over to the ship. <laughs> That's how they talk, and by the way. It is like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and together they fly out and... Together, they find out that there's a brain bug and they have to go capture it because it seems to be the leader and they can think and maybe if they can catch it, they can figure out how they're doing all these traps and they can find a way to beat them. Fellas. So they go down with a bunch of other mobile infantry. And again, the bugs are shooting their plasma beams up from the planet, but they're more ready for it this time. They're dodging and weaving and they're ducking and all these guys land and they're like, all right, Uh, except for Carmen and the flight commander guy. They barely get out. Their their ship gets hit and they barely get out on an escape pod and they crash land on the planet right into one of the bug holes right by the brain bug. And they get captured and taken to the brain bug. And Rico is on command with his team because he controls the roughnecks now because the lieutenant got killed earlier in the invasion. And so now Rico's in charge and he's on the comms with Carmen and he's like, where are you? What is your position? And she gives him position. And they're like, let's go rescue team. He's like, we both know she's already dead. So they go in and they're going to invade this bug hole and try to capture this brain bug. And they're like, oh, this other team's off to this tunnel left. We should go to the tunnel right. You can't disobey orders. They'll hang you for that. Well, that's what's got to happen. I need two volunteers. And they go down this right path. And that's where Carmen is. And that's where the brain bug is. And the brain bug is about to suck out Carmen's brain. And she chops off the sucker with the knife and grabs a nuke and was like, ha And Rico grabs the nuke and goes, you know what this is? Let her go, fellas. So anyway, there's a bunch more bugs that come out of there. And Rico's there with Ace and another guy, Sugar Watkins, played by Seth Gilliam. He's sort of this um, comedic black guy character, and he gets stabbed pretty bad or pretty slashed across the stomach while they're trying to leave. And he has the nuke in his hand. He's like, leave me. I'll fight them off. And he's just shooting. He always, his only character trait is that he had a giant scope on his gun. 
No one else had a scope, and he's just shooting them. Ah! And then it flashes them right away, and it flashes back to him going, ah, shooting the bugs, flashes back, flashes. No one ever runs out of ammo except for once in this whole movie. They're running. The nuke goes off. Boo! The um, brain bug actually escaped from the back, but was caught ex machina by Sergeant Zim, the one who trained Rico in the first place. And boot camp. Neil Patrick Harris comes up, and he's like, I was, um, I maybe I was telepathically telling you where Carmen was, but maybe not. You'll never know. But he totally did. Cause he's psyched. <laughs> wink. And then <laughs> it's all a big victory. They bring the brain bug back to their planet. And they earlier said how horrible it was that they were, the brain bug was eating people's brains to find out intelligence. But all they do is take the brain bug and start stabbing it with a bunch of stuff to figure out what it knows. So like, no one's a good guy. No one's a bad guy. They also only, through the meteor at earth because we tried to colonize them first. So we're not the good guy. They're not the good guy. That's where it ends. And there's another like montage of like, we're doing our part. We're doing our part. Join the military and become a citizen. We have better guns now. And it's just the cycle of trash. Fellas. The that's, end. That's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, was there post credits? <laughs> All right, so that was our summary. And again, I really like the humor in this. And I also like how the dialogue, the acting, and the cinematography all works to deconstruct what fundamentally would be a very boring blockbuster science fiction action film, which when it first came out, a lot of people thought it just was. And it actually did not do well. It barely made 10 million over what its budget was when it first came out. And was nobody got panned. the satire. They're like, this is just a pro-fascist movie. What are you doing? Yeah, that's and they're like, guys, wondering. the guy that made RoboCop is clearly doing a satire. Like people legitimately didn't get it. No. They did not get it. Because the thing is, the book itself really is very close to being pro-fascist propaganda, if not mm -hmm. straight up. It is very right-wing and actually kind of sticky. It's very pro-militaristic. And, yeah. and so when this was said that to be based on it, people just expected that it was going to be that spectacle. So they weren't going in with a thought process of, oh, this is going to be a satire. They went in with, oh, God, someone's actually going to adapt this film for Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, it's not a winky movie. It's not like, this is satire, wink, wink. Ah, you see all the satire. It's played pretty straight, but just over the top enough that you can get it if you're paying attention. But I guess audiences 1997 did not get it. Yeah, Would you think the football scene in the beginning would have thrown it off? Just how, like, out of nowhere the flip six three-hole is? <laughs> it's space football, so it's better. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like they only have like a 25-yard field. I adore the high school portion because it sets the stage for all of these different, where, where it's just uncanny enough that you know they're not playing it straight. There's a lot of little things that happen, especially the teachers. All the teachers that we see are wounded in some way having to do with the war and the military. So while their words, as the movie starts, is like, how great it is to go out and fight for your country and and to become a citizen in this uh, this uh, new society. You have to do some sort of federal service, and it impresses upon them how great violence is and how important it is because might makes right and always has throughout all of this world's history as far as they know. Right, and Michael so they're, they're spousing says naked force has resolved more issues than any other factor. Yeah. And it's, it, and the, <laughs> while they're pro saying this, pro force. 
And while they're saying this, they're missing their limbs. The scientists, the chemist lady is blind from acid burns in her eyes. It's great it because Rue McClanahan from the Golden so Girls, the if top. you didn't catch that. Oh, really? yeah, it I was. Oh, yeah, she's blind. She's, yeah, everyone is messed up from this war, from yep. the society, really. Mm-hmm. And One question for the, the other folks that watch this. So their society, is it like whole world deal? Because, I think so. okay. Yeah. So they're, and they're all like called the Federation. So like, it's like yeah. the world Federation. It's the global government, yeah. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Would you like and to it's... know more about that? <laughs> Would <laughs> you like to know more? It was almost my one sentence summary, but I figured someone else would do it. Someone else would do it. What, would you want to know more? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Caleb did. So, so. so what is your guys's favorite piece of deconstruction here? Since, like you said, it's, it's not exactly wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But once you know going into it that to watch for it, you see it all the time. So what's your favorite piece of kind of like hidden satire? Ooh. Ooh, how the colony that first died was Mormons. <laughs> Mormon extremists. Mormon extremists. I have that written down, but that's my favorite <laughs> description in the whole movie. Mormon extremists have gone to colonize this. Oh, boy. I didn't <laughs> you, really get that. Um, okay, this was kind of, it might not work, but like in the end, when Carmen and Xander are escaping the, their big ship that's being blown up, they get into an escape pod and all the escape pods only have two seats. And like, you look at the size of these ships, these are enormous ships. Like you are not going to be able to get a a crew out with just two, two seater escape pods. So that was like, "Mm." seems like someone's making priorities when it comes to who gets to live and who dies. So that was lifeboats on the Titanic over here. (laughs) Absolutely. It's it's very red shirty because anytime that you have uh, one of these things go on where you're having to, uh, like in the real world on ships, for example, you have massive numbers of like lifeboat equipment on planes. They make sure that everybody has something. Whereas here on this spaceship, they have enough to maybe take out your top officers and everyone else is a red shirt who's just going to die. It Although reminded me a lot of uh, another comedy movie, Spaceballs, how all the escape pods are one person only. Yes. <laughs> I would really like it if like, during some sort of orientation they're like and in a pinch pull this cord on your gun and it turns into a flotation device (laughs) (laughs) so my favorite aspect is that the entire movie is structured to be a propaganda film in this world so there's the little propaganda sections in between but the entire movie is a story about these kids who want to sign up and then they get brainwashed into being part of this pro-militaristic fascist society and just going full hog and about the disposable society where the adults are all amputees and they have all these war wounds, but they're still like, yeah, the Federation, we want to fight and war is the best thing and aggression. And then these kids come up and their leaders get taken out and then they get wounded. And then there's new kids to replace them. And it's just this disposable society while everything is, it's really like the Nazi propaganda films. They watched a lot of Lenny Riefenstahl films triumph of the will and that kind of thing to model it after this it's my favorite thing is that the whole thing is like here's propaganda for this whole society yeah we do get I, a lot I of love those, that framing uh, device yeah we get a lot of those uh, like propaganda vignettes in there and it like they fit when you're watching the movie but if you take a like a 10,000 foot view you're like mm, those just sort of seem thrown in there at times to transition 
but yeah now that you say that it makes a lot more sense that it's like in this big picture like the whole movie is just a propaganda movie within the the world which goes into a bit of the filmmaking stuff i want to talk about like the lighting is all just super bright and flat like a sitcom or a teen drama they were really trying to make the look like 90210 or melrose place where it's just these vapid characters who are beautiful they don't really have a lot of depth to them everything is flatly lit and bright and they're the ones who are going to go off and show how the society is beautiful just like i said like the nazi movies they would only find the most beautiful of nazis and show them in their propaganda films with only the most exquisite jaw lines allowed in this one seriously it, 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 yeah it's basically and also something something as far as like the casting goes all the the actors and actresses are in their other movies you know they're very, they're much more emotive they 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 can do like deeper characters but in this, they're intentionally acting flat. Like they're one dimensional cardboard cutouts of what they're supposed to be as Precisely. they're going through this. And, and, you, and you know from their other movies, like, wait, you're a better actor than, oh, I see what you're doing. So it's intentionally bad acting, which is great. Especially like, like I said, that, that scene in, in the escape pod where he, she's like, you're alive. I am alive. I'll be here. Okay. <laughs> It's like a it's melodrama. Just, it, it's great. It is so melodramatic and over the top. But my favorite piece of it was a little bit more obvious, but was when they were signing up physically to go into the military. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I want to become mobile infantry. And he's like, mobile infantry may be the man I am today. It shakes his hand and he has one robotic arm and no legs. And he's just like, maybe who I am. And the, he just walks on. <laughs> But I also like how there's little snippets here and there of lore that don't really ever have any attention drawn to them, but because they're always like in the middle of another conversation, but that are kind of haunting. Like when the dad was talking to him, it was like, well, of course, you know, why do you want to do this, son? It's fine. Just come home. You don't need to be a citizen. I'd rather take 10 floggings in the public square. So they do public flogging, public executions. Not a capital then, punishment. So I, I just like how those small little things here and there or the, oh, yeah, you know, I'd love to be a mother. So I need to get a license. So in order to be a mother, I have to join the military. Mm-hmm. Excuse me? Signing up guarantees citizenship and you have to be a citizen to be a mother. Yeah. <laughs> or to be a politician, which I have this note after Rico takes off the guy's helmet and he gets shot in the head. I'm like, oh no, politics girl is going home. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> She's was like, like, I want to get into politics, so I have to be a citizen. Yeah. And then she washes out. Tragic. Uh, feels bad. So this is my first time watching this. I've seen like a couple clips from it. Um, mainly the intro, like, I'm doing my part. And that was about it. But well, while watching this, one of the things that really struck me is how like it mirrored the U.S. back in 2001 when 9-11 happened. It, this came out before. This was like, what, 97? 97. Yes. And then 9-11 happened in um, 01. And when Buenos Aires gets the meteor hit, it was technically a retaliation um, from the radical Mormons doing the first thing. But then we got hit by a meteor. And then we see Rico and all the people from Buenos Aires get like, the super patriotic sense of like, I wasn't like fully into the army before and I just joined it for benefits. But now like I actually want to throw my entire self into it in order to like get revenge for having something taken. Kill them all, I say. Kill them all. The only good bug is a dead bug. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, that kind of thing is, and it's very realistic too. And, you know, it came out before 9-11. The important thing to note is that when you have a group of people and then they get attacked, often they'll be galvanized against it. It's like with Pearl Harbor, for example, as well. Um, after Pearl Harbor, you would scant find someone who would be like, oh, no, we shouldn't go to war with, with Japan because people are like, we've been attacked on our soil. Now it's time to attack back. And so yeah, we were so isolationist swell. before that. We're like, yeah, it's Europe. Who cares? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. There's that groundswell of support that comes up because of, because people want to protect themselves. And it, it's a whole other psychological group, but it very much is a thing. And um, it shows that the writing of this was pretty, pretty solid. And it, ma- it made sense how the script was written. Yeah, which leads you to believe, wonder, did they allow the meteor to hit? Because they had those planet defense systems. Oh, yeah. Which they mentioned. But did they allow it to hit just so they would get more people to sign up? Because that's what this society is. We need more troops to go to war to continue our militaristic factory. Yeah, because like they had that propaganda ad right after the big retaliation. They made that full-scale invasion. They had like that 100,000 dead already within one hour. And we need you and and all that. So I wonder. Mm. Yeah, lots of like join now, sign up, signing up, guarantee citizenship and all that good business. Like the politician who was in charge, he gets fired, but all he does is move back to one of the seats behind (laughs) and one of the people from there moves up to be the lead. Like he actually doesn't like lose power at all because he's still in the top of top dogs. Yeah. I didn't even know circle. Everyone just shifts one seat over and then they keep going in this circle. One part about this being a satire that sort of bugs me is how inclusive it was of like all different races and having women in the military. And it sort of being a joke film, almost like the message of everyone can like participate and be like equals sort of gets diluted because is it just a joke that like they're in power? Well, Well, that's the point is that this is a fascist utopia. (laughs) They are trying to put forth that this society works. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with this society, which is why there are women, people of color, etc. And all <laughs> from the mobile infantry to the, the higher ups and everything. That's the point. Remember, this is putting forth its best face. It's not necessarily what's real. It's what they're showing to the populace. It's propaganda. You know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. you don't show propaganda so- that is, makes you look bad. Exactly. And not only do you not show the propaganda that makes you look bad, but you're wanting to try and impress to the people, even though it's completely obviously wrong, that this is a utopia. This is wonderful. Everyone here has an equal chance of growing and getting whatever they want. And you can put your mind to anything and nothing's going to stop you in this society as long as you fight for the federal service, blah, 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 which, of course, isn't true. And we see at several points where people are kind of needled or kind of formed into, into these things. One of the, uh, one of the things that happened early on, which takes something that happens in some countries and turns it up to 11 is uh, posting of people's grades where like on the wall in a lot of Asian countries, you'll have your grades publicly posted based on how well you did. Well, in this particular society, not only can you type in your grades, but if you want to, you can reach over, hit a button, and everyone in the entire school can see what this one person got if they got a bad grade. And that's one of those little tools of like using social pressure to mold them into falling in line, which is kind of dark. You know, it it just takes those things which normally, I mean, we don't take for granted, but might be 
you know, passed over and then it turns them up. Like, for example, the whole thing with the co-ed shower, where they're all taking a shower together and everything's supposed to be like, look how progressive and great they are. But during this scene, we literally hear how they can't even have a child unless they fought for the military. So it's just that back and forth of like, oh, well, they're all great. But in reality, oh, oh, dear. Yeah, it also kind of shows you like how open their recruitment is because even Rico, who we've seen is a pretty inattentive student and his grades are super low and they'll still take him in the mobile infantry. Like he won't qualify for what was it that uh, Neil Patrick Harris went into games in theory? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Or he w- can't be a pilot, but they'll take him in, in doing grunt work. That's kind of similar to what we have, what we do have in like uh, the United States, for example, we have the ASVAB and it's a placement test. Basically they give you a bunch of battery of questions on multiple subjects. And depending on how well you do, it can kind of disqualify you or make it so that you're more likely to get one job than another. But this again, takes it up to 11. So now it's like, we're not just checking to see, you know, can you pass your SAT scores? Now we're like, okay, but how psychic are you? And also what's your physical prowess, et cetera, et cetera. So it just takes what we already have and makes it worse. So fellas, I rented this on Blu-ray and one of the special features was a recruitment test. (laughs) So I took the recruitment test, which was basically just questions about the movie. Uh, Little things like, oh, on this rifle, what is one of the attachments that it can't have? And it's like a scope, uh, a rocket launcher or whatever. And it's like a knife. Yeah, they didn't show a knife on the gun. So I knew what that was the answer was. So the first time I took it, I got mobile infantry and I made it to the rank of corporal. It's me until I die. (laughs) (laughs) Or you find someone better. And then the second time I took it, I got mobile infantry again because kind of leans that way. Mm. It's kind of like a Facebook quiz where it's like, Are you this obvious answer to lead you in this path? Are you this obvious answer to lead you in this path? Yeah. It's like, but do you believe in like, peace? Do you believe in flying? Do you believe in violence with no... <laughs> 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 but the second time I got it, I got squad leader of the Roughnecks. So that's cool. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Some of, the, some of the questions, like even on the real ass fab are kind of weird. Like one of my questions was, where's the best place to be in a thunderstorm? And it was like below a tree in a car flat on the ground like it might be poking fun at that because some of those are just completely ridiculous so i'm like why why are we Which, asking uh, the ground the yeah place? i was gonna it, guess robbie is it in a car yeah because you're grounded by the four tires yeah because the car grounds mm-hmm. electricity <laughs> yeah um, if you're not in a car or you have no access to a car then uh get as low as possible in as low a place as possible so lie down a, in a ditch a free tip to all you at home and also, can't lightning strike in the same spot twice? Like, it's more likely to because the discharge of electrons in the area? I do not know. Well, it can't. Yeah, it can not. totally strike in the same place twice. Yeah. yeah, it can't not strike in the same place twice. Another thing about it being the fascist society is how young they start recruiting after the, the sort of D-Day of sorts that mm-hmm. they had. Like, um, so these characters were nowhere near high school age when they were cast for this. Right. But they were supposed to, like, play high school or sort of, like, sky high was. You're like, that person's like 30. Like, I swear. It's Sam Raimi Spider-Man all over again. <laughs> anyway, so they already looked very old, um, and they were high schoolers. And then after D-Day, they start recruiting younger than high school, and they actually get high schoolers for that. And it's weird to see the age difference from our main cast to these new recruits. Yeah, it is. It's, like, it's very noticeable that 
Rico's last contingent of troops is are these really young folks, and that's like brought back to your attention that like oh yeah, this is not good because from my perception, the movie is sort of split in half. You have like this first hour that is all like set up and where I think the bulk of the the satire is, and then the second hour is just like war, and that's like all the payoff of what this world uh what the consequences of having this sort of society is for and so that is like one of the moments that brings you back and grounds you back and like oh yeah this is this is not great yeah i think it's like i said earlier where it's just about the machine churning out more and more soldiers each generation is once one gets taken out there's another to replace it and they just keep going because this society thrives on an enemy and it needs to keep going and keep fighting. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about a soldier getting taken out because that green vat of healing, what Jim called is thrown in after the D day to save our main character. And it's basically like, I don't know, um, Avada Kedavra from Harry Potter. It writes you into like, there's only a kill spell. This is the, no one can die because they have a healing vat that healed him after he was stabbed through like the heart area. So it's, Rico was only stabbed through the leg. Yeah. Rico yeah. Stabbed which the, you see like when he's thigh. in the green goo, no, no, no. it's patching up his leg. But Ace, Ace, the boy, uh-huh. he was viciously stabbed many times. I think Ace was only stabbed through the shoulder in that one. Yeah. He like, no, 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 no. he was the last guy being during the D they invasion. He was the last guy in the fight and he turned around his friend got killed, so he started shooting, and then he gets stabbed, and then like another thing comes out and stabs him. You know, I'm bringing this up right now. A little aside. I don't think that was him. I don't think that was him because he shows up in the next scene and he's just fine. He's then yeah. checking in on Rico in the back to tank. Oh, we're watching a movie. This. Oh, right here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's shooting the bug. That's not Jake Busey. That's Rico. Not? Yeah, that's Rico. That's Rico. Yeah. Wait, so he gets stabbed in the leg. He gets stabbed in the leg. And then that's it. Yeah, and then no, no, no. he's like looking at the camera. Check out he's this action out replay. Yeah, he's got the underbarrel shotgun, which is red. Which is apparently more effective than the actual gun. No, that? Yeah. Where is it? No, nah, dude, that was Rico. Yeah, that was Rico. That's where. See, there, there's where? Ace. He's okay. Oh no! There's 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 the boy. Yeah, he runs away. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, buddy. You know what? <laughs> we got him on tape. <laughs> Regardless, we brought the receipts. He gets we... stabbed through the leg. Hmm? Why can't they? And and they're literally doing like cell regeneration with that. Yeah, they're like, 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 printing a new leg. Everyone yep. who's like lost a limb in the carrier bay. They're just not going to put them in different bats? I think because he has a piercing wound and not something fully amputated. I don't know. Also plot armor, dude. Yeah, but yeah. also Dizzy only gets piercing wounds. A couple of yeah, them. Yeah, I was, I was kind of wondering about Dizzy. She stabbed a lot, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like... <laughs> so? However, <laughs> uh, it's great when, when Carmen and the flight instructor are walking through where there's just people mutilated and they're bleeding and there's no limbs and there's blood everywhere and they walk up to the screen to see who's dead and she says it's strange there are almost no wounded at all 
when they're surrounded by a bunch of wounded people. I know, it didn't make sense at all. I mean, I guess she was talking about like in the in the larger picture, like I guess. <laughs> but like that there's like thirty wounded and like the hundred thousand dead, like the propaganda thing was saying. While she was scrolling, it was like MIA, MIA, WIA, 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 KIA. There's like, a bunch of wounded in actions on the thing. She's like, it's crazy how little people are wounded. <laughs> There's like 18 people right on the side. Yeah. So no, she was she just walked through a room full of wounded people. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to come out and defend this one because this is just one of those things in dialogue. Like, this is the most realistic piece of dialogue. You know, Carmen's head is just somewhere else and don't tell me this doesn't happen to you sometimes where you're just thinking like a mile a minute and you're thinking about like the big picture even though you're looking at evidence to the contrary you still say it it's like me being like where's the milk as i'm holding it yeah can't expect people in real life yeah you can't expect people in real life to speak like truthful story stuff all the time sometimes people are gonna get stuff wrong and this is just one of those times speaking of which have you ever like put the milk in the pantry and the cereal in the fridge yes i have i did that like earlier this week and i just like i stared at it for like so long (laughs) now it's like oh my god (laughs) i'm dying Yeah, you know, it was just like a, a brain fart on Carmen's part. You know what? Here's hey, a little right. fun fact about the movie, which I did know before, but I never actually saw the footage. So during the co-ed shower scene, the only way they were able to get the actors to do the co-ed shower scene was to have all the cast, crew, and directors all be also naked while they shot it. That's a nice yeah. little... They were like, oh, we don't feel good about this. And <laughs> Paul Verhoeven, being a Dutch european is like what's the big deal it's like well it's not a big deal why don't you do it he's like all right (laughs) the cinematographer steps naked and they're like all right i guess if they're gonna do it and then everyone was fine well the discipline of none of the actors looking down once was impressive (laughs) hey man you go you work can i talk to you all about my favorite part in the movie Sure. Actually, I guess I have two favorite parts, and they don't really matter a whole lot. But my first favorite part is when the high school teacher, what, what's his name? He's like a Blindside. Yeah, but like, what's the character? That, uh, uh, Ratchik. Raz, oh, yeah, Ratchik. So Rico just like killed Bugs good, and he just gets promoted. And they're celebrating the next, uh, or that night, and Ratchik is like, I, I expect the best, and I give you the best. And he opens up some boxes, and like, here's the beer. And then he opens up some more boxes, and it's like, and here's the entertainment. And there's like a violin and a metal football. And he just sort of reminded me of like moms from 90s commercials. Like, and here's the, here's the pizza rolls. And they're all like, yeah. Here's your Nerf football. Go have fun. Yeah. And it's just like all these soldiers like, yeah, violin. Which is not that they can't. It's just like so out of left field that we've just been shooting bugs for like 30 minutes straight. That they're like, oh, yeah. And Ace can play the violin so well. And they're well, all like. Really luckily, that was set up before when he's playing the violin in the yeah. background of the video message. I first oh, yeah, right. wrote down like violin in the bunks because that's such a weird thing for a soldier to just like pull out <laughs> during break time. Yeah. Unless it's not. 
do they have yeah. musical instruments on like ships and stuff? Oh yeah, you can bring you can bring stuff with you. It's like when you're on the ship and stuff. I would bring a Nintendo DS because there was nothing else to do. As long as it can fit, there's no reason not to be able to bring something. Yeah, the only thing about the violin is it's two pieces. Like a guitar, you could maybe see, or a ukulele, but like the violin, oh, with the bow, yeah, more space. Yeah, you got to have that bow. Well, it's still in the same case though. Like it's fairly small. That's true. Compared yeah, to true. a guitar, which is quite large. So Ace's violin. My favorite part about it is when. Rico and Dizzy finally have a dance together. Ace is just right between them in the background, just intensely staring at them while playing the violin. <laughs> he's just so intent on them being together. Yeah. That he stands a foot away, creeping on them. With his giant Busey crazy. teeth. Yeah. Yeah. It is clear that he is Gary Busey's son. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering, like, like, I'm not extremely familiar with the Busey family, but, like, I was... Mm. That guy really looks like Gary Busey. Let me look this up Those real fast. Choppers. Yeah. <laughs> and my second favorite part of the movie is just a little aside during one of the uh, propaganda ads. Uh, Timothy Omenson comes on screen and is like, Are you psychic? You may be. Take this test and find out. And then, just for me, as a big fan of Psych, the TV show, all of a sudden, it all makes sense because he's like the Timothy Omitson is the detective on that show. And he's the, the whole show. He is trying to convince everyone else that the main character is not psychic. <laughs> There's just what, what casting just like he's, a specific niche joke for the whole he's show. Fantastic. He's got like this dark black thin goatee and these crazy eyebrows it's like are you psychic he like looks like a like mm-hmm. a crazy psychic <laughs> and then oh, yeah, the third eye comes comes rules and then the third eye comes in yeah <laughs> I so, love, yeah those I, are my two favorite parts <laughs> i don't get how people didn't see this as a satire when one of the first things they do is there's a the judge is going to check out this murder guilty watch the execution at 6 p.m on all channels all networks yeah, like no one saw that as not a joke. In the opening propaganda film, there's all these people saying, "I'm doing my part," and then a little kid, "I'm doing my part." <laughs> <laughs> like guys, it's clear from the beginning. Do you yeah. think it just like blended into all of the like '90s CGI disaster type movies that like came in, in the wake of like Jurassic Park and Independence Day? I think it's because the 90s, there was no real conflicts going on for us. We were in a real state of, on oh, we, we, there was no problems. We were doing well as a country financially and everything, but watching it after like a post 9-11, watching it after everything we've been through now, it's a lot more clear. So I think they didn't maybe have the societal context mm. that we might have. Like, I, I have a thought that if this had come out... Like, if it had come out now, we would definitely be like, oh, yeah, obviously it's satire. I think also, like, if it came out during Desert Storm or during something maybe in the 80s or, you know, that type of thing, people would also recognize, like, oh, because they had, like you said, they'd have that zeitgeist to be like, hey, you know, I can compare this with what's going on and suddenly give you context you didn't have before. Yeah. And also, like we said, it's not obvious. It's pretty subtle with its tongue-in-cheekness 
Like it could be a lot more obvious. It could be a lot yeah. more in your face. It could wink a lot more and it doesn't really do that. Mm-hmm. Which I'm and glad for. I think it's a better, yes, it would have been better a lot worse because it doesn't. Yeah. I feel like it'd be really weird if it came out today because Neil Patrick Harris is like what? 47. That'd make no sense. <laughs> to be a high schooler. But he still looks good. I think he could pull it off. Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite parts of the film is probably other than other, like, I really did love that skate pod portion, but other than that, my other favorite was when he's sitting there and they're trying to teach him. He's trying to test him on psychic ability and Neil Patrick Harris the whole time is just like, just think, just, just think. And he's like, ah, it doesn't matter anymore. Starts hitting it. I don't know. I just, I, I love that little bit. It was statistically nice. you should have guessed right by now, <laughs> but I don't get it because he did guess right. He's like, I'm it's saying, tell me like Ace of Spades, and it comes with Ace of Spades, and it says wrong. No, he inputted Ace of Spades. He was supposed yeah. to guess the card that was already on the screen. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like in uh, in Ghostbusters, it's like that, but with extra steps. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna disagree with Robbie. I felt that the escape pod scene had no weight to it. Because neither of those characters were enjoyable. They were trash. <laughs> Not only is Xander a weird creep, but also, what's her name? Carmen, Carmen is totally hitting on Xander. And then she tells Rico to not be jealous. Yet she's like talking about, oh, you're leaving. Ooh, woo. And it's like, you're, <laughs> you're clearly flirting with him and you won't tell Rico you love him. Yet, don't be jealous. Trash character. <laughs> Read. I, I, I follow her. I love the deconstruction of this about how everything's working together to just be off, and that the performances are part of that. Like none of the performances are good within themselves; they're all plastic. But the fact that it, at least in my opinion, I think except for Michael Ironside. That is no, Michael Ironside and Clancy Brown. <laughs> And Clancy Brown. straight and, and Timothy Oman and wonderful. Like the exposition, like the beginning was very exposition heavy where they're like, oh, well, you know, we're going to do the whole teacher asks the question, student answers the question to give exposition for the film, that whole trope. Mm-hmm. But when they're doing it, I don't know. It's just the way that they do it is so plastic. And like Greg said, like a propaganda film, it's hilarious. Like this one, blah, blah, blah. That's right, Timmy. But do you really want to be like a citizen? Do you know the difference between the two? It has to give you that information as the propaganda. Like, what do you think the city fathers of Hiroshima would say? Well, they probably wouldn't say anything because Hiroshima got bombed. Very good. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's just so bad. (laughs) It's so bad. It's good. I just I'm like, ah. well, the writer called this a teenage love trial set in a war. Uh, it's in a war movie. So. That sounds like a very writer thing to say. It's pretty much what it is. Yeah. It's like always that it just seems like setting a thing on a backdrop really feels like uh, the writer's bread and butter. Yeah. Like, and this is a, a, a bombastic action movie, but at the heart of it, it's a simple love story about a man who's trying to win the, uh, the approval of his father or, you know, what have you. When Nick asked earlier about how could people not clearly see how this was a satire like when you're at war you try to dehumanize the enemy so much in this movie they literally made them just these faceless mindless bugs to fight like yeah i and i 
in a little bit when we go into it. I, I really love some of the through themes of this because it plays them beautifully to where it makes the flaws just that more glaring. But yeah, like there are faceless maps of unthinking beings that are literally insects. Speaking of Except which, the thinking being. this movie had an insane budget. Like, what was it? A hundred and five million dollars. Wow. And 97. That's crazy. Let me read. Check. Yes. The estimated. I think most of it just went to how many extras they had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they but, had a lot of extras. The bugs are actually, like, really good. Yeah, this movie holds up. No, it really does. Like, if anything, the look of it, how it kind of looks flat 90s sitcom-ish, helps it. Like, it has this timeless feel of I am watching, like, I don't know. But I don't I mean, want to keep saying propaganda effects, film. Like, the bugs really hold up. They look really good. Yeah, they do. Because they're a combination of CG. They built robot versions for some of them. Uh, there, are, there are parts where it's like just the arms for the close-up stabs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just watching some behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, the CG looks super good. The only time I can really think where it looked bad is when those guys got the lava stuff shot on their arm and their arms are melting. I was like, oh, that's oh, yeah. cheesy. But other than that, everything holds up, man. Yeah, I like yeah. the explosions even. I thought the, the lava stuff was pretty cool because it was like fire acid. I'm like, oh, it's hey, red. That's- that's pretty rad. <laughs> As a quick aside, $100 million in 1997 money is $161 million now. So almost $162 million. So that's a, like a low budget blockbuster now. Yeah, that's about half of, <laughs> half of Captain America Civil War. And they only made back $20 million. Actually, no, less than that. Uh, they made... 121 million dollars off it so 16 six yes math quick faster (laughs) you know that's a positive outcome i think the dvd market and like the aftermarket probably really helped because like i said nobody really got it at first vhs baby it it was just it was flat panned across the board it almost won the uh Oh, what's that award like the razzie not the razzie the stinker award or whatever it was like worst picture yeah razzie Almost won a Razzie. Which makes no sense. People just didn't get it. And then and then press tells you one thing and you're like, oh, I guess that's what it is. Yep. But no, I I, I really liked it. And I just I cannot wait for the next part. Well, would you would you look at that time on the watch that I'm not wearing? It looks like it's time (laughs) for Robbie's themes. (laughs) <laughs> purposely off key for that because I think it's more funny <laughs> I like it yeah you know I checked right. my, my ankle watch and it does say Robbie's <laughs> themes time alright so this show obviously is stock full of themes um, from ish, uh, societal issues with the military industrial complex with fascism as a whole with gratuitous violence and death versus a glamorization of sex and things like that Something that I find really cool and interesting, though, is the theme of the glory of fighting and dying, specifically dying. There's a poem that deals with this from World War I that I really enjoy. It's one of my favorite poems that are not written by, uh, that isn't, was not written by Emily Dickinson. And it was uh, Dulce et Decorum. And Dulce et Decorum est uh, pro patria mori is, I pronounced it really badly. 
but it means how sweet it is to die for one's country. So for a long time and up to World War One, there was a very present feeling that people had that dying while in battle was glorious and therefore was something so sweet that you would want to go for, right? It was something that was very much treasured. Well, World War I comes along, and instead of going out and fighting man-on-man and everyone in the battlefield, now you're getting gassed in trenches by the hundreds, and the death toll just skyrockets. And so the feeling of, like, glory with March the Light Brigade no longer works. And so you had this kind of haunting theme of, well, when you die, you're just dying and littering your corpse on the ground. Like, that's all you're doing. So something this show does is it plays the military fascist regime straight with all the problems that entails, including the fact that all these people throughout this film, we see dozens of people have these glorious, bloody or like dramatic deaths where in a normal movie, you'd focus on that and that would have a lot of pause and people would reflect. Whereas here, 10 seconds and we're done. No more. We're just going to skip right over you. And there's a whole bunch of those different deaths. And my favorite one is probably the captain near the end, where it's this heart, supposedly heartbreaking scene where the flight captain is like, go escape. And we never talk about it again. Never see it again. She was cut in half, bleeding to death. And now we're gone. Oh, yeah. that. She just gets replaced by Carmen. She just, like I said, everything just gets replaced and yep, filled in. But like what you were saying about how all the problems with the with the fascist military regime, because there's that part where they're talking with Neil Patrick Harris. And he's like, oh, you guys were on Planet P. There was a low survivability of that movement. I'm glad you guys are OK. He's like they knew they ran the numbers they're like, yeah, a lot of people are going to die. That's OK. We'll just throw like, more oh. kids at him. <laughs> yeah, there, there was no like tactics either. Like in when you're trying to minimize casualties, you go to tactics to see what you can do best to lower the number of deaths and maximize the amount you can get from it. There isn't any here. Even when they're in boot camp, they're not taught tactic. It's run, go, shoot mm-hmm. everyone, shoot everything, and it doesn't matter. And that's how the kid gets hit in the head and dies during the training exercise, because everyone's just flaying and going around and shooting at each other. But instead of addressing the problems tactically, no, just, you know, flog the guy who took off his helmet. Trying to yeah, check there's a lot to see of what clear my is. clear my shot line and like quit get in the way. Yeah, on a scale and from they're... one to running it down mid, that's all they do. <laughs> they need to do more backflips. When you yeah. Yeah. backflips to three kill holes. The bus. Yeah, <laughs> like they had more tactics during the football game than they did during the battle where they were dying. That's true. That's that's why Rico went up the rink so fast. I'm like, wow, this, this guy makes a plan. He's a big thinker. The noggin on that guy. He, it's like the mobile infantry is the British Army during the Revolutionary War. Oh, yeah. And only Rico is an American. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to do something that's not stand in the line and shoot. I'm like, wow. <laughs> the tactical brilliance on this man. Put him in charge of a battalion. Put a grenade on this big thing. You kill bugs good. Well, I don't think he's that smart <laughs> because uh, when his friend got shot in the face and his skull blew off, he was medic. still yelling for medic when he doesn't have a brain in there anymore. Yeah. Like, 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 you know, you have procedure you got to do, right? You can't be like, oh, well, you know, we tried. Let's keep going with the and exercise. Shock. Medic morgue. It's all good. <laughs> you know what? Got to go through the proper channels. These guys all spoke that good English, yet they're from South America. Has, yeah, but remember, it, it's the future. I have to I'm, imagine. I'm wondering, are they trying to show that the U.S. has 
commu- or uh, become this big entity who has brought everyone together under the great United Nation flag. The Federation. No. Federation. Yeah, yeah Federation. <laughs> the... Well, I, I heard I do Casper find Van Dien had a good response to that. Or they're like, if you're from Buenos yeah. Aires, why are you a blue-eyed, blonde-haired white guy? It's like, yeah, well, maybe I'm descended them. from Nazis <laughs> because, you know, a lot of Nazis escaped to Argentina and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he had that one loaded. Check that one with the producers before you go on tour. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I think it's just more we are in a homogenized society. English is the norm. Yeah, it's like, and again, uh, it's a propaganda piece. But exactly. it's always a little funny to think of, like in sci-fi movies where everyone speaks English and it's like you just sort of think to yourself, wow, the British must have colonized the entire galaxy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they have names like Johnny Rico or Carmen Ibanez. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it's area specific in their naming, but they are these white beautiful kids <laughs> and carl jenkins no jenkins yeah. <laughs> and the i don't know like little there, doogie himmler at the end yeah i was gonna say i was like th- <laughs> there, has full Nazi point, <laughs> there has to be a point where somebody was like wait a second why is doogie hauser walking out in ss uniform <laughs> yeah like, how did you not get it at that point because he's only uh, i haven't looked at his imdb but like he just finished Doogie Howser. Yeah, he, he was trying this. to get away from that role. And then he didn't do anything until like Harold and Kumar, and then that was like his big like comeback, right? This was before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to get rid of the happy doctor and be more of the edgy guy. To Kid, still yeah. has range. Exactly. Which he does now. <laughs> Thankfully he got out of it. He's like um, the only one that got out of this movie okay of the of the kids. Of the kids, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like Jake Busey, who was in contact. I remember him from Shasta McNasty, <laughs> which was what? a TV show for like a season. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we all have those TV shows that were just a season. Are bugs not technically animals? So like there's no guidelines on like how they should be treated? Because like there was a scene where all those kids were stomping on cockroaches and they were stomping on cockroaches. Well, again, in this type of society, okay, so the real propaganda, especially Nazi propaganda and in World War II, you wanted to dehumanize and belittle people as much as possible. And you would, you would stomp. I, I think there was one where they like killed ducks on screen because they were trying to say like the eight, like Japanese people were ducks as far as a racial slur. Or something mm-hmm. like that, and they just they would kill them on screen, but and they'd be like, "This is a good thing because we get rid of these because we're people." And Nick, are you asking bad. specifically about the Humane Society and in this yeah. movie? Like, is, yeah, those are fake cockroaches. Oh, they, oh, okay. They look like they were quite. Uh, anyway, yeah, with the duck thing. Um, sorry, <laughs> the old Disney cartoon of like racist Donald Duck, and then the. Um, Into Fuhrer's face. Yeah, to yes. Fuhrer's face. Well, that was a dream, so that exonerates Donald no, Duck. No, it So won an Oscar. No. <laughs> <laughs> he just dreamt that he did it, you know, guys. It wasn't actually him. That leads me into a, uh, another theme that's very interesting, which is dehumanization. Um, and how, like Greg was saying earlier, that they took and created an enemy that would be a pastiche of what we would normally do. Like normal, not we as in us, but as in uh, this society. This society. Oh, only the four you. of us. 
Ah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, but we're cool. In this in this society that they would want to bring these down, but they can't because it's literally bugs already. So the dehumanization is done for them. But like part of the problem is because they're like, oh, they're stupid bugs that have no purpose, blah, blah, blah. They underestimate the heck out of them. And then when they all get shot down, they're like, oh my gosh, we underestimated this. But like... Sorry, I'm just... um For the demon humanization, they even bring the bugs down one more time. When Ironside, um, they go to that the place on what's Planet P, P? Planet P. Planet P. They go to that um, the place where the bug, the brain bug was, and the guy, the commander who comes out of the closet, haha, <laughs> who was hiding in there. <laughs> the general, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the general who's literally hiding in the freezer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway, he tells them how there's a bug that was taking people's brain, and Ironside goes. I find that offensive that you think that the bugs can be smart. Exactly. Which is like, you can see that that happened. And the guy literally told you, you have evidence from when they said the blue things were fine. You can get hit by them. And they were not. Fine. Yeah. But yet. Yep. He finds it offensive that he even brought up the fact that he could be wrong about his idea of the bugs. Yeah, the bugs are not smart. They are just there to be exterminated. Yep, which is like legitimately a main part of a lot of propaganda from throughout history has been they're demons, they're mm-hmm. they're uh, subhuman, <laughs> they're not people. That's where those slurs come from because instead mm-hmm. of calling them by name, which would give them, you know, oh, they're people. No, no, no they're not people. Yeah. They're, they're evil. They're scum. Blah blah blah. Things that you can attack and not feel bad about. And most of them stem from the American system. Yay. To further your point, Robbie, about the dehumanization, we're also dehumanizing our characters because they become brainwashed and just becomes cogs in this fascist military machine. Yep. By the end, they've lost all sort sense of individuality. They're no longer the characters they were at all. And now they are just, oh, Rico's the new sergeant. Oh, Carmen, she's the new flight I attend it. Jesus. <laughs> you can, oh, you can whoa, hand out peanuts really good. <laughs> she's the new captain. Yeah, she has her own ship. Oh, it's Carmen. She's now the new flight captain. Oh, it's Carl. Doogie Hauser is now apparently an SS captain. Like, that's all that they are now at the end. Whereas before, they actually had character and they had some dimensions. It was rough, but it was there. By the end of it, you don't care. That's all that they are. And they're in a new propaganda film. Like, yeah, and like they I are said, now the propaganda. And replaceability. Michael Ironside says to his crew when it's Reschek's Roughnecks. Yeah, Reschek. Yeah. Come on, you apes. Do you want to live forever? And then at the end, Rico, and he's in the last bit of propaganda film, says the exact same thing. Come on, you apes. You want to live forever? He's yeah. being replaced and just... Mm-hmm. Dehumanizing, you're stripped away of your personality. You are just for war. And the only difference is they have better guns. Slightly upgraded this time. Yeah. Yeah, that ending got like pretty Lord of the Flies, if uh, y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, I love Asmar. <laughs> Asmar. I just love how the end credit like the end scene is the whole like they will fight and they will win and what you realize is this is the exact same spot basically they were in in the beginning where nothing has actually been resolved at all like they have captured a brain bug that they're sticking with 
pins and needles, but they're not actually doing anything different. And so it's fu- the whole thing is futility. Nothing is different now, but they put on a little thing that says they'll win at the end. So that's a happy ending. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's movie. like uh, they finished the movie and they've cleared out like half a planet, maybe. Although it really seems like the bugs are smart enough to like hide their numbers and then just like repopulate the planet. So really they've, they've done no damage overall. It's just going to be an endless cycle of death. And the whole like actual thing that they did at the end, like the big climax was, uh, was uh, Carl putting his hand and going, it's afraid and everyone freaking mm-hmm. out because all happy because it's afraid. Well, obviously it's afraid. It's surrounded by things trying to stab it. Like, why is this a climax? Nothing yeah, is everyone, different. Everyone cheers. <laughs> oh, we have a way that we can defeat these things now. Not, oh, we worked out a solution. Maybe we can come to some sort of agreement. No, we're going to, we, oh, it's afraid. We can fight these things. We can push them back. We can continue to win. Right. Also, just as a general psychic cold read technique, like you don't have to be psychic to be like, it's afraid. Like you're telling them what they want to hear and what is probably true anyways. Like that's no psychic ability. And this guy's like a high ranking member of the psychics. And he's just doing all these real amateur reads. That ain't it. And then also he immediately gave the people a martyr with Sergeant Zim, gave him the the one who captured the brain bug. Yeah, Sergeant Sim. I really like Clancy Brown. I, I think that he's a, as an actor, I think he's a tremendous talent. And he's got this great body of work from just last for many years across, you know, live action and animation. And he shows up just again and again. I just really <laughs> like him, you know. One of the parts of this movie I like really enjoyed was the gravitational field that Carmen has to go through because the way they find it is the coffee that she set on the console slowly shifts like it's being pulled down like a different angle on the glass yeah that was cool I thought that was just such a cool way to show like them realizing it's gravity or there's some sort of gravitational field that's pulling us differently oh yeah it's like it's raising on the Jurassic Park thing with the the cup of water (laughs) (laughs) all these directors like yeah, <laughs> you know, you gotta gotta raise the stakes on what you can do with a cup of water and cinematic showings. Did you guys notice the sweet use of mini discs? Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> like in Running Man, <laughs> or like in V for Vendetta, or in Ooh, V for yeah. Vendetta. Yeah, the future is mini discs. Really rad mini discs. My last little Nick pick for this entire movie is when Carmen goes in the shuttle for the first time. The door opens to space when she's like 10 feet away. That is not safe because any sort of air with the door opening just means that the the pod goes directly into that door and blows up. It should at least open when she starts moving, not when Mm. she's at full speed about to hit it. I'm just saying (laughs) any sort of air, that's a dead crew. Fair enough. Yeah, I'll give you that one. And that was Nick Picks. I'm never happy. Fellas, <laughs> <laughs> would you recommend this movie and under what circumstances? I would absolutely recommend this movie just because, especially now, since we do have the cultural zeitgeist to know that it's satire, it's just, it's a fun movie to watch with friends, something to just, you know, talk over as it happens and just enjoy the spectacle of it. 
it does still hold up really well today. I would also recommend this movie because it's hilarious. And those CGI bugs got some acid lava. I like it. Don't watch it with your parents because there's quite a nude scene. There's two. I don't know how you guys are. I wouldn't. I would still watch it. It gets the don't watch this with your mom tag. I would also recommend this movie. It is fantastic satire, great filmmaking. It really understands what it's trying to say and puts it forth in a very subtle way, but still very entertaining. And it still has that action and dumb violence for everyone who likes it. Boobs, like Nick said. But it's really good, really great movie overall. Unappreciated at its time. Appreciated now by everyone. I would absolutely not recommend this movie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's going to be like, what? I figured. Yeah, take that, Robbie. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think I would recommend this movie. It does seem like, for me and my experience, the kind of movie that, like, you know, you see it on cable. You're like, oh, Starship Troopers is on. Shall we watch this? Well, it's either this or... Uh, you know, the Food Network until our minds collapse. So, yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> food Network is always on, and it's always got, like, you know, good stuff. Anyway, enough about the Food Network. <laughs> I watch a lot of Food Network. <laughs> Hashtag not sponsored. Yeah. <laughs> but you know our email. Yeah. All right, that was our discussion of Starship Troopers. Next week is my pick. Fellas, next week we are going to be watching Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Ooh. Ooh. I, I really know nothing about it, so to take my ooh with a grain of salt. <laughs> my ooh my brain. is simply that it sounds cool. So yeah, I know it's what good. it is. Robbie like, will enjoy it. Caleb uh, probably will enjoy it. His brain <laughs> apparently will get hurt. All right, so feel free to join us next week when we talk about that movie. Feel free to watch it at home, and please follow us on all our social medias. We are 4FilmFellas, F-O-U-R FilmFellas on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Bye. everyone. Bye.